Everything said on the Couplings Fire podcast are our opinions and in no way represent the opinions and values of any agency we are associated with. Hey, this is the Couplings Fire podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Chris. And I'm Taylor. We're married. And we're both firefighters. Join us as we talk anything and everything fire related. Based out of small town, rural Nebraska, we bring our unique challenges and solutions to the table every episode. Our goal? better the rural volunteer firefighting community one person at a time. Let's get on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Of the Couplings podcast. The Couplings Fire podcast. A firefighter podcast. A firefighter. <laughs> Kind of all of it, all in one. Yep. Sorry, I'm still trying to think of something exciting to, to start out with. Weather, yeah. Really we had a couple little, we had a little grass fire. Nothing. It was really funny though. So I was explaining to one of my friends. She she doesn't know anything about firefighting, and I was explaining to her, you know, that we went to this fire, and I was like getting excited because like when they paged us out, it was threatening a home. I was like, oh dang, this is gonna be fun, right? And we get there. And it's like nothing. It's like an anchor, maybe two of a fire, you know, and it's not even like they got it knocked down like crazy. And it it got up close to the home, but, you know, they got knocked down good enough. It was fine. I'm telling that to her and she's like, an acre of, or two of fire? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, that's a lot. I'm like, no, it's not. Well, I didn't realize in her brain, <laughs> she doesn't know anything about fire. She, she thought... The entire one or two acres was all on fire all at once. It was one big fireball just, like, from one or two acres at the same time. Yeah, that would be a lot of fire. Right? So, like, I had to explain to her, like, how it actually works. I'm like, no, you don't understand. So, I think we've talked about this before, but we should really, like, interview or, like, get someone on here who doesn't know anything about the fire service at all. Like, just... Almost someone random and just like pick their brain and see what they think about things. Yes, we've talked about this separately. We haven't talked about with them yet. Well, I'm just saying <laughs> we should do it. It'd yeah, be fun. get get someone or a couple or somebody on here who has no. Now I've talked to her too much and explained too much. She knows too much, so she can't she come on. She knows too much. We must get her. <laughs> yeah, she knows too much. We can't have her on now. <laughs> and I think I told her that too. Um, but I, I really want to get somebody or a couple or whatever on here for it because I think it'd be really interesting to see the common person's perspective. Right. Well, and even like we went to Lincoln this last weekend and we yeah. talked to a couple up there that like, they had no idea. They had no idea, but like he, it's not used, I'm not used to it, but like he didn't have like the hands-on mechanical mind kind of Yeah. He was an office job kind of guy. Yeah. He didn't have any background of working on his own stuff. So which it's like, is which is absolutely fine, but it made for a hilarious conversation when it came to like fire department stuff. Oh yeah, because he's like, because we were talking about something with a just a home project about replacing outlets or whatever, and you were or like putting an outlet somewhere. And he's like, oh yeah, you just use a normal outlet from you know, the wall, and he's just like, wait, and he was joking of course, but like he's like, wait, walls don't come with outlets like <laughs> already in them. That's just the way they're built, right? Like that's just the way they are. It was hilarious. He's like, I don't have to deal with that. He. You know. Yeah, he's just, for lack of better words, he's a very white-collar person. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. It just makes for some pretty funny conversations when you get talking to people like that. that oh, yeah. really don't have a, an idea about that, how things work and what things mean and stuff like that. It's pretty funny. Oh, yeah, and then Chris and I were so into the fireside. So, so yeah, we're talking with him, and he's just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was super funny. We didn't get to go too far into anything, you know, so they could be good candidates or find yeah, some other people. I don't know, but, don't know. Uh, yeah, that'd be a blast. It would be. That'd be super We fun. could actually, it would, it would be, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone else doing that, though, but it would be such a good way to see what the public actually thinks. Yeah. If nothing else, it'd be a funny episode. Oh, yeah. Not trying to make fun of anyone or anything. It's just... It's funny. Yeah. It, it is. It does kind of tie in there because, like, what the public perceives about the fire department and what the fire department perceives about their own fire department is two different things. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of funny sometimes, so... Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, off that subject, 
What uh, what do you have on the list for us to cover tonight, hon? So for tonight, uh, this has been kind of in my brain for a while now, and I've I've gathered all these little notes together, and I want to talk about how to make training more realistic on a budget. So we don't have a big budget here in our town for our fire department, and a lot of volunteer departments are kind of facing the same thing, and. We've kind of gathered different notes from what we've done ourselves or learned at other outside trainings or saw on YouTube or kind of we gathered a bunch of different little things that we like to make training more realistic. So this is going to be a little different than our other episodes and it's just going to be a hodgepodge of all these little bullet points of things you can consider to do. So it's probably going to be very sporadic. But hopefully it'll still make for a good episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if we think of any more, um, off the top of our heads while we're talking, we will mention them. And this opens it up for maybe, shoot, maybe a year or two from now, we'll do a part two of uh, take two on our new ways to do it. Maybe. Or something. You never but. know. It's hard to say what you'll learn in a year <laughs> or two years. Yeah. We've learned a lot in two years being here, in the last two years of being here. <laughs> All right, so the first bullet point, what do you got on there? So the first one I have, uh, I have fence posts in five-gallon buckets. So we actually, this was a couple years ago when I went to Les Luger Conference for the first time in Kearney. Uh, I was taught by David Mellon of Valor Fire Training. And part of what we did that weekend, they were trying to make some props to make it more realistic, right? And Kearney has this amazing... Uh, training center where they actually have a nice tower and everything to train and whatnot and they have it set up with a bunch of realistic looking things and like they actually have like power, fake power poles and everything up there to like perfect. well they're real power poles yeah but they're not live yeah sorry <laughs> yeah they're not just imaginary they're not paper cutouts uh, <laughs> and so like they have a lot of these real things but they wanted to like incorporate events for this practice so like how are they going to do this they actually went out to one of the home stores that weekend while we were out there or something like that. And they actually got two five-gallon buckets. They put a fence post in each one, and they filled it partway up with cement so the fence post would stay. And they actually ended up putting a gate on it so they could set up that gate wherever they wanted to, and the firefighters had to treat it like an actual fencing gate. And it was nice because it was sturdy because it was still in that cement, and so they, they had to deal with that extra obstacle there. So it's just a way for you to, like, how many of our houses have gates? Plenty, you know? Or have fences, yeah. anything of that sort. So it, it was just a nice, easy way, cheap way. And they they still have these buckets out there. This last training I went to, they had those same buckets with those fence posts still out there oh, to yeah. use. So they last a long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this, this stuff to make training more realistic, I mean, it's all for your department's benefit. Because it's, it's little simple things like that. Like, yeah. how many houses do you think of that have a fence around the whole property because they have a dog. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't do. think about that. Well, we don't have it around the front, but like all the back still. Right. You just don't think about that stuff until you hit it and you're like, oh, what do we do now? You know, especially if it's a tall fence or a privacy fence or something like that, you know, what if there's a dog on the other side, you know, mm -hmm. these are all to benefit you guys and to make your trainings more uh, interactive and, and really get guys thinking. Yeah. So... But yeah, for sure, that one, uh, and I had never heard about that one until you brought it home that weekend. And at first it was like, okay, that, that makes sense, you know, but really nothing revolutionary. But, you know, most of these ideas aren't anything revolutionary. Yeah. It's just things that you don't think about because we always do training the same way and stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, none of these, none of these ideas are, yeah, revolutionary by any means, but they definitely get the point across that there's always something different that you're going to encounter. And sometimes even those calls you go to all the time, you don't train on them because you think simply, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that one kind of covers that one. Yeah. Um, the fence, if you run into that, you know, that it's definitely something extra you're going to have to encounter. And by putting this up in front of whatever building or, uh, structure you might be using, to practice your interior attacks or just to size up or something like that, it'd be a good thing you can just put there and then take back with you when you're done. So nothing permanent and very portable. So, yeah. so the next one we got. Yeah, so the next one um, we have on here is a space heater. 
and that would be for like interior attack or yes. not not even well yeah that too but um if you're doing search if you're using uh like the tick going through a tick class uh thermal imaging camera if you're learning that for the first time or even just getting used to using it um space heater is great interior attack mm -hmm. um you can't use it with water obviously that'd be very dangerous but uh you can definitely like simulating a heat source yes for sure that, that was what i had in mind when i put this on the list was just simulating a heat source for either fire attack or or uh search um for it because you at, you at least you get the heat off of it it helps people understand or remember the fact that when they turn their body a certain way granted it's not as much of a breach as an actual fire is going to be. It's not intense. Yeah, it's not intense or anything, but you're still going to be able to feel the heat off of it if you turn your head away. You're going to be able to feel the heats on your left side and not your right and kind of stuff like that. Yeah. So, it's just a little extra added realism there. Not too much, but a little bit, why not, you know? Yeah. Well, and like I was saying with the, with the tick, I mean, if you're going through a tick class or if you're learning to use a tick for the first time, even if you're experienced with the tick, but you've never been in a house fire with it, like we have a basement here, we can kind of set up with some fake walls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You can put that heater behind a closed door. And that door will read hotter. Yeah, that door will read hotter. Or just being out in the open, maybe behind another like half wall or something like that. With that tick, you'll actually be able to see that heat radiating, up, radiating mm -hmm. up, and you'll learn a lot on how to use that tick and what you're looking for when it comes to heat and stuff like that. So, there's a lot of different uses out there for a space heater for sure. Um, but again, it's just to make that a little more realistic. So when guys are going into fire, that it clicks with them. Yeah. Oh, the heat's on my right side, or I can feel it on my left side, or I can kind of hear it over here. You know, then mm -hmm. the heater, the space heater, you really can't hear it like a fiery wood but oh well you can if they're an old one if they're like <laughs> we have an old one at home <laughs> sounds like a gremlin <laughs> but it's just one one more factor that you can put in their brain that they'll recognize and and whether you're like i said whether you're dealing with a tick or interior attack if you're doing a search you know that's your fire room and if you put it behind a closed door anyway you, you can say that's your fire room and that's going to be hot. So if you're doing a search with a tick, um, most of the time you're not going to search a fire room itself because that's not livable conditions. But mm -hmm. any other room around there, you can still search, you know. It's just another another thing you can put in people's heads. So yeah. Next up on the bullet points of training, uh, noise tracks. This was This was your idea. I'll let you take it. <laughs> This, this this was my idea. Um, I don't know if I heard this from several places or I just came up with some of it. I, I don't know, honestly, where this came from exactly. I, I bet it has a lot of different influence. But this is noise tracks of the fire, noise tracks of a victim, noise tracks of sirens outside from the trucks, equipment sounds, of smoke detectors inside, anything you can think of that you're going to find on a fire ground. So I'm going to stop you here. Noise okay. tracks, meaning like... Playing a sound CD. effects. Sound effects, basically. Sound yeah. effects. So, like, if you're going to have... So, yeah, you can play either a CD or something on a phone or whatever, if you have a big boom box or whatever. The most important thing to remember here is that you want your noise tracks coming from where they would on the scene. So, if you're running a training and you want equipment sounds of stuff happening outside, you're going to put that near where their entrance is for wherever they're entering at. If you're going to have the fire sound, you want it where your fire is. If you have smoke detectors, you're going to want it up high. You know, if you have a victim, you're going to want to be, want it to be where your victim's going to be. Um, so, kind of all that together, it's, you got to make sure you're putting it in the right spot. That helps them to, them, when they get on the fire scene, they're used to having those sounds and where they are. They're, they're not new sounds to them by any means. And right. a lot of times, we should be practicing with smoke detectors at a minimum for a smoke detector sound. Because we hope everyone is running with, you know good smoke alarms in their house <laughs> right and yeah that's that's one thing through my experience on this department going into house fires and stuff like that like you really don't realize how loud they are until you get back out of the house it's kind of for weird. the smoke detectors or for well, the, the sounds smoke, in general the smoke detectors like they're annoying detectors crap yeah smoke, <laughs> smoke detectors 
Um, they're annoying as crap. But, like, all your other, like, normal sounds that come with a fire, like, you don't realize how loud they are and how much you're hearing them until you get back out of the house. It's really weird. Like, that's mine. Like, my yeah. brain, I don't know if it's partially, and this might be a bad thing, but partially, like, the tunnel vision kind I of I think deal, a lot of it is because a lot of people do talk about that. They do talk about how they don't remember sounds happening or whatever when they're on a call. And that's just, you know, just kind of that with... Um, the tunnel vision and where your heart rate is, you will lose some of those senses. Yeah. And so people don't remember that. So this is another reason good to train them, train you on them beforehand so that you remember to listen for those sounds. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, cause that can help show you your way out. Yeah. If you have like the fire sound effect, like, uh, easy one to go to is like fireplace the, crackling. Yeah. The fireplace crackling. On it's YouTube. on Netflix, new YouTube, wherever yeah. you want to go find it. <laughs> that sound. Although, I can't tell you specifically that I've been in a fire and heard that, but... It's there. I know it's there. And if you're looking for a hidden fire... Secluded? Is secluded, that the hidden... Whatever. I'd say hidden fire. Yeah. One that you're having a hard time finding. Just stop and... Stop. Don't breathe. Hold your breath with your partner at the same time. Listen for that sound for five seconds. Exactly. And I don't have a story, but I remember... Our chief having a story, they had a fire that was extremely hard to find, and that's how they ended up finding it. They said they they actually looked for the fire for probably 30 minutes before they actually ended up finding it. The house was full of smoke, but they couldn't find a fire, and they didn't have a tick or anything like that to help them out, and that's what they, they ended up walking past. I think they were going up a stairway, if I remember right, and one of them caught it at their ear, and they just stopped there held their breath, and then they could hear that crackle. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is to practice telling your partner to hold your breath for five seconds to listen because you can hear a victim, you can hear the fire, you can hear just anything you need to hear, but you have to make sure that you're not breathing at the same time and you, that both people understand that immediately. Otherwise, it's going to take a while to, to stop and do that. But that yeah. is, yeah. So these, these soundtracks, I mean, and... Other than that, you know, like your your truck's running outside, you know, maybe that's going to make communication tougher, having mm-hmm. that extra noise. Um, tra- practicing with those smoke detectors, like I that's said. That's annoying as crap. They're, they're really annoying, <laughs> and they're going to frustrate a lot of people. But that's also one of those deals that the more you get people used to out it. of the comfort zone, yeah, the more you can really reinforce that training. And it's just like kind of with the... With the SCBA packs. Mm-hmm. When we were doing drills one night and... We were doing the Legos. Uh, no, we didn't do the Legos. We didn't. That's right. No, it was a different night. But we were doing... We were teaching some new guys to put on packs and even the older guys um, that were way more experienced putting on packs. And we did it probably four or five times and everyone was getting tired. So basically, I told them to turn on their pass alarm and nobody could turn it off until they were done. And it annoyed a lot of... A lot of people, and surprisingly enough, everyone still did a really good job with it. Mm-hmm. But that is definitely known if you have an annoying sound, a repetitive sound, something like that. It's known to screw some people up. Yeah. So, yeah, smoke detectors are a great thing to put in there. And we, like you said, we should be in a lot of houses that have them. But should be. Should be. If nothing else, even if you don't end up going in houses with working smoke detectors, if you're practicing with it, it's going to be a lot easier to go through a silence than it is that blurring sound out of nowhere that you're not used to. Right. So. Absolutely. So the next one... It's another one of your <laughs> ideas. I think most of these are my ideas, so I don't know if... Well, I realize it is, and I... This one we'll talk about here. Yeah. It's... Um, when we do search practices or even interior practices, if we haven't smoked out a room, either with theatrical smoke or with some sort of smoke that we can make, we put the press and seal. Uh, it's the kitchen press and seal stuff yeah, for food. For food. We put that over the outside of the mask. And I think a lot of places out there do it. It's not uncommon. What I found uncommon is the last one I did, the last Luger, they had us put it inside of our masks, not outside. And that's where I got to ask, why inside? So I think the reasoning for us was that it didn't accidentally fall off. 
and we couldn't brush it off. It was in there no matter what because we weren't taking off our masks. That is my assumption why inside, not outside. That way we didn't accidentally brush against it or take it off or whatnot because that stuff comes off really easily. Yeah, so. it depends on how good you got it. I've done a lot of trainings, though, with it on the outside, and it works, seems to work just fine. Okay, so for us, they has, he specifically said, make sure, you know, put it on the inside of your mask. Oh, okay. okay. And so we, we put it on the inside of the lens, and shoot, I couldn't see anything, <laughs> obviously, yeah. through that stuff. But, um, yeah, you could see lightness and darkness, but that was about it. Yeah. It was, like, really, really, really bad vision. Oh, worse than that. I have bad vision, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was just, that was one thing, the inside versus the outside. So it just doesn't come off as easy. Okay. Um, if you guys don't already do this, this is a great easy way to practice searching, um, or interior attack because it does cloud your vision. Mm -hmm. And even though you may know a room, this gives you not blackout conditions, Yeah. but it gives you very cloudy vision. So that you can't just go walk around a room. It's going to make yeah. you rely more on your your senses to, to navigate that room and find things. It's still not going to be accurate to an actual fire scenario um, or an actual fire call. Because I remember when I went through one of the ones less lucrative, I could reach out my hand and it was just funny how like my arms started to disappear. It's not going to look like that, so it's not going to be necessarily realistic. But it's still going to be clouded vision, you know right at the bat where you can't see anything outside of your mask and it's going to reinforce everything so yeah but at the same time i've been in those fires where it does do that you have oh yeah oh. You, you go into the house and you're just fine and as soon as you hit something hot with that water all of a sudden your mask just steams up <laughs> and you can wipe it off with your glove but now your mask is all dirty and you still can't hardly see and until the smoke clears or you get your mask cleared off i mean you just yeah, you're running around with little to no vision, and it usually ain't too bad if that is the case, though. But, I mean, I've, I've definitely been in that situation in a fire, so mm. I don't know if you remember yeah. the house. Wait, um, that was during the daytime. It was during the daytime. We had a, I believe it was a chimney fire, and it was in, like, a log cabin style okay, house. I didn't it got that smoky in there. Well, it was so hot inside the house and so cold outside that when you went from inside to outside, you kept going back and forth, your mask would just instantly fog over. Oh, yeah, there was snow, wasn't there? Yep. So I forgot that there we was. We ended up taking a piece of tin off the roof, and went, as soon as that vented, all, all that steam and smoke hit the mask, and then you blind again for a little while until you could get it cleared up. Hmm. So, it happens a lot more, I've noticed, in the winter. Or, uh... If your face piece isn't put on right and you're exhaling into the mask, then it will fog mm. over. Stuff like that. So, yeah, like I said, not super realistic, but conditions can make it happen and you'll be trained for that then. Yeah. So, hopefully <laughs> okay. it doesn't, but anywho. Yes, next one. I haven't done this one yet. Did you do this one? I did not do this one, but I got talked about it. This was another one that got talked about and I haven't done it and we need to do it. So... I'm pulling a lot from a couple of years ago at Leslie Kurt with Valor, Valor Fire Training. Well, Valor, they, that's their big deal is realistic training. Yes. And they have so many little tricks to make it more realistic. It is ridiculous and I love it. Yeah. And I wish I got to train with them more. But So uh, so this was on Sunday morning for that Leslie Kurt conference. And I, he, uh, Dave was taking me around since I wasn't there on Saturday with their hot class. I was actually taking... Uh, classroom classes on Saturday. So I missed some of the talk of this. So he was telling me one point, um, you put a garbage bag. So you have, okay. So you have a firefighter yeah. with his air pack on, fully masked up, okay? And he has a tick. You put a garbage bag over the entirety of him and the tick. So we can still see into the tick. But... The way the tick works, and I just, I want to try this, because, like, I, I understand how it works, but it still screws with me how it can do this. It'll see through the garbage bag to the rest of the room, and I just, it, it does not compute in my head, and I need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, for those of you that don't know, a thermal camera works on thermal radiation, and trash bags hold very little to no thermal radiation. 
And so that's how that thermal camera can see through that trash bag. But it puts you in a blackout condition Mm -hmm. and relying on the thermal camera and really getting to know how to use it. Yes. So I will need to try that at some point. I still haven't two years later and I just need to. Um, But yeah, Yeah. so that's just another way to make, yeah, the blackout conditions with that. So you add that Uh, to a black room, to a no lights on room. Perfect. Yep. And blackout conditions are, are fairly rare. Like I don't hear many people going into them, but it seems like, any of our fires that happen past sundown, they they're, are. they're blackout because you just don't have the natural light to them. Yeah. So if you're going in there, whether the smoke's black or the smoke is just a lazy white smoke, if it's dark outside, it's probably going to feel like blackout conditions. So mm-hmm. that just get, really gets you comfortable using that thermal. So. Yeah. Um, so search. Is yeah, what looks like what we're going into. Yeah, kind of. this one specifically, I was thinking mass casualty kind of search. So this is like if you're looking for somebody um, out, if they were in car accident or let's say a bus or okay, maybe not a bus. Something happened where somebody was like thrown from a vehicle in the ditch or something. You can't find them or whatever. This was an idea I had. It's not we haven't tried it, but I I don't see why it wouldn't work. Yeah, I don't I don't know why it wouldn't work either. And so you can use this with a live person, and be, that'd be a lot easier, obviously. But you can do it with a dummy too, and just use heat packs around the dummy or a couple points on the dummy, and that'll be your victim. Yeah. So I didn't realize how many of these were kind of tying into the thermal camera. That's kind of funny. Yeah. So. Yeah, car wreck, someone's thrown from the vehicle, um, adult, child, baby, whatever the case may be. If you do have a thermal camera, I would highly suggest getting out that thermal camera to look for that person. Okay. Because so, you will yeah, that's, see that's a, why, yeah, this whole thing comes yeah. up. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't add this to the beginning of that. No, you're fine. Um, so that thermal camera will actually see that body heat, and you won't have to do a grid search per se to go find this victim if you pull out the thermal camera it'll you'll be able to find them much faster mm-hmm. so if you want to do this in training and kind of show how it works to other guys on your department this is a great way to do that yeah another thing i think why i put mass casualty is because one time when we did the mass casualty in our own fire station you could do the same thing there and put heat packs either with those beanie babies that we did or just with your dummies or whatever around the station. Yeah. So. So if you're talking building collapse or whatever your scenario Yeah, use be, a thermal camera. Yeah. Use it to your thermal advantage. Camera, so. um, and then this, this sounds backwards, but it's not. The other side of that is you can use ice packs on a victim. Yes. And again, haven't officially tried this out. I, I think it will work, though. I don't see why it wouldn't. So, this is using ice packs for a victim for searching in a house fire. So, if any of you guys... And if you're not up to this, we'll, we're going to get into it. Um, when you actually do training on a tick, most of the time you're looking for the whitest thing in there when you're doing your, your trainings because that's going to be your hottest thing. So, that's how you look for your victim, right? Well, when you're in a house fire, the victim's not going to be the hottest thing. The victim is probably going to be one of the colder things in there, right? Yeah. So if your fire is 300 degrees, your victims, they're going to be pushing up higher just because of the natural radiant heat of the fire. Yeah. But, I mean, they're still going to be cooler than the actual environment that they're in. Yeah, so they might be more black or dark gray compared to the white that you're going to see of the actual heat of the fire. So a way to be able to practice this before you get in a high heat situation is put ice packs either with a person or on your dummy or whatever to make them colder. So you're actually, you're training yourself to see that darker color. Instead of the instead hotter of, color. Instead of the hotter, the hotter color. Yeah. That way you don't get switched around when you're in a house fire and you're trying to look for that white for a person. It's not going to show up like that. Right, yeah. You're still looking for that that outline or that mm-hmm. body looking figure. But, but it's going to be a different color. Yeah, and... Where if you're looking at it outside, it's going to be the hottest thing you're probably looking for. Yeah. If you're looking for it inside a house where the environment around that person is hotter than they are, it's going to be the opposite. You're looking for the colder person. Yeah, and I know that's something that gets a lot of people tripped up, from what I've heard, just because they're so used to training on it without fire. And this is a way you can train on it without fire, but still 
see this, see what you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, granted, if you're going to do it for several evolutions, you need a lot of ice packs and rotate them in and out. But, you know, it's something. So yeah, absolutely. So. Again, it's not tried and true. We don't know it for sure, but I don't see why it wouldn't work. I don't know why it wouldn't either. You're, the concept is there, so. All right, so what do we have for the next one, Chris? Rescue Randy's. Uh, specifically, in this case, for extrication for car wrecks. So, rescue randies are the dummies that you can buy to rescue. Mm-hmm. Hence the name Rescue Randy. Um, you don't have to go out and buy a nice fancy rescue mannequin. Mm-mm. We had one here for the longest time, and I'm not quite sure why he got dismantled. <laughs> but he did. Um, you can actually make these rescue dummies out of fire hose. Especially the old crappy... Retired fire hose that you don't use anymore. Absolutely. Um, and I think, if I remember right, I don't remember how many rolls it takes to do. It's not very many. It's either one or two. Yeah, I was thinking two or three. But oh. um, they end up weighing uh, maybe 100 pounds. So they're nothing heavy, but you could add more to them to increase the weight if you wanted to. But nonetheless, you can make them, and then you just put throw away clothes on them and stuff like that. I saw somewhere they put a set of old bunker gear on to keep it together better. Right, yeah. I think we had red our old red fire gear on ours, mm. but... Um, when you're doing extrication... So, if... There's other ways you can do it. You can actually get people to... Sit in there. To sit in there and do that for you, but that takes a little more resources and time to organize, stuff like that. But this, in my opinion, is a safer option, too, because... Oh, yeah. If you have the resources, you can actually pin the dash on them. You're not going to hurt them. Oh, yeah. You can you can legitimately mold those body parts on the Rescue Randy or your hose dummy however you want. So you can really pinch them in there. You can really crush everything together. Do whatever you want to do to this without harming a person. And it is hyper-realistic to the fact of this is what you might come on come up on and this person could still be alive whereas we we're not going to put a live person in that situation right for these there's might be a situation you want to do that you just physically can't do with a human being yeah so yeah put a hose dummy in there why not it's easy no if they get crushed too much they're not gonna die you know and then to run your scenario as if it were a live person in there yeah so it gets you familiar with the skills it gets you familiar with uh, the actual extrication part, using the backboards, actually pulling oh, yeah. that victim out of yeah, the vehicle. Yeah, pull the victim out of the vehicle, put it on the backboard, do everything you would do. Yeah, because you might find that you can only get two guys in a certain, you know, between the backboard and the door of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you pop the door, it opens up, you put the vehicle, the victim on the backboard, and you can't get enough guys around that backboard. Well, okay, now we need to pull the door all the way off so we have more room, mm-hmm. you know. You so, find stuff out like that quick. Yeah, or, you know, say on a on a four-door vehicle, you can get the people around the backboard because the door is open further or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, it teaches you a lot more on that extrication part of it. So. Oh, yeah, and, like, I would be fully up for filling the car with hose dummies and having, you know, have, it like, a, a legitimate crash happen but you could have it where it was like three vehicles involved so maybe the front of the vehicle got smashed up and the side so that's going to change what you're going to do too because you have like a body in the back you know and two people in the front you know so you have like two parents and a kid you know like you could really escalate this however you wanted to or like that where was it uh in texas or california or something yeah where was that yeah that was texas yeah texas where they had what 70 some cars? No, not that oh. one. The Where they had like 20 people in that. 25 people in an SUV. 25 people in an SUV. <laughs> that was in California. That just happened in the last like day or two. Yeah, that was that's crazy. That's ridiculous. And I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. So um, even if you want to have fun with it and put 20 people in there, honestly, it could happen, obviously. Yeah, so obviously. <laughs> it did. So, but yeah, it just... It really reinforces the actual goal that you're going for, not just the skills. Yeah. So, um, rescue randies can be used in anything from extrication practice to house fires, 
Search practice. Retraining. Retraining. Um, Anything you have a victim for, whatever it be. Yeah, there's so much you can use them for. It's ridiculous. So if you have old retired fire hose, um, Google it. If you can't find it. We'll try to help. (laughs) Message us and we'll try to find a link or something for you. So definitely doable though. All right. What's the next one you got? So the next one is using a car seat. Uh, or a and, and also a baby doll and car extrication practices. So I know we're dealing a little bit with car extrication here, but this one I thought was kind of cool. So a lot of times people don't think about the whole fact of, okay, there's a car seat in the car. Sometimes firefighters don't think of, hey, there, sh- there might be a baby associated with this car, especially if the whoever's driving is unconscious. So the baby could just be in the car. Okay, that's awesome. So how do you deal with a baby? How do you pick them out, pick them up safely or whatever, especially if maybe the baby was injured or who knows what? So you have all that to deal with. Okay, what happens if the baby's not in the car seat anymore? So. And this this actually has happened. It wasn't a baby, but we had a wreck that we ended up extricating the driver and he couldn't tell us if there's anyone with him or not. And we ended up... Search, searches, searching ditches and stuff like that. And it turns out there wasn't. We finally got in contact with all the family members and stuff. And there wasn't anyone else with them, but we had no idea. Yeah. You cannot assume that, if, especially if the driver is unconscious, you have no idea if there was actually another person in there or not. So you can't assume there was not another person. You have to confirm there was not another person. Some way yeah. or another. Um, so a lot of the... So like, yeah, I have the baby thrown into the ditch kind of thing. You know, put a heat pack on the baby. Or something. And put it in a ditch. And this is another thing where you're going to get your thermal camera out. If you don't have a thermal camera, you're going to do it the old-fashioned way. And you're going to check the land. Mm-hmm. It's going to suck, but you're going to do it. <laughs> exactly. So, it's just another way to add realism to it. And one thing with some of the, a lot of these, don't tell your people you're going to do this for the practice. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want them to be prepared for it. You want them to have to realize it and maybe you have to like hey there's a car seat where's the baby yeah you know maybe you have to nudge him a little bit to get him where you want him to go but it's something you can put in there sometimes not put in there other times keep them on their feet for different practices and that's really what you want you want it organic every call is different so you want to make every practice throw different things at them yeah and you want to keep their brains engaged and moving and yeah and try to find those weird pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. All right. Next one. This one's a big one for me, even mm-hmm. though I know you came up with a list, but <laughs> running scenarios from start to finish. Yes. There's... Especially if you don't like the way it's going, do not stop it. Yeah. And this, I have a hard time with this one because <laughs> I firmly believe in this rule start to finish Mm -hmm. but it is so hard for me to not stop it in the middle and point out something or fix something or do something like that that is really hard for me to do because i'm just that's my way my brain works but yeah yeah if you're gonna run a scenario um we just got done talking about extrication so we'll use that if you're gonna do an extrication scenario run it all the way from pulling up on scene all the way to extricating that victim 15 foot out of the car on a backboard. And don't stop it in between there. Let the whole thing play out and then keep notes. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, talk about it. And then if time allows, do it again. Yeah. Try to try to make things more efficient by running the whole thing. That way you can find out all the problems. You can find out, okay, well, we could have done this better. And maybe you'll get some input from the guys, too, that say, you know what? We could have done this better. It would have worked out better if we'd done it this way, or we wouldn't have had to deal with this if we'd done this. Another way I think of looking at this, or not way, but another um, scenario for it is if you're doing a, like, let's say a hose advancement training or search training, okay? They go in the front door, they make entry, they go through... They find whatever they want to find. They put out the fire. How many times do you guys, after they do that, they immediately take off their air packs? A lot, I'm assuming, because I know ours do. 
And I'm not talking real life fire situations. I'm talking about trainings where you go find the fake fire. You want them, once they get done hitting it or whatever it be, okay, even if they're done with you, if they say it's out or whatever, they need to find a way out of that house, whatever it may be, come out of that house before they take their earth back off. It's just those muscle memory things that are going to be easier to not have to remember in the moment. Right. So you want to make sure that you're running it from start to finish. That way they're not getting in the habit of, as soon as they put the fire out inside the house, they're taking off their airpacks. Right, yeah. Um, not only that, as you were saying that, is it also teaches people to deal with problems that occur. Yeah. So if you pull a hose line, is that on there? Yeah. Oh. It is? Well, the throwing problem is no. the way. This isn't intentional problems. Okay. This is natural problems. So if you pull a hose line, and let's say they don't pull it correctly, and it gets on a knot or caught on something, mm-hmm. they're going to have to deal with that. You can't yeah. stop them and be like, okay, you pulled this wrong, let's put it back in and do it again. Mm-hmm. No, that's a problem that if you pull up to a house and somebody pulls a cross lay wrong or it gets snagged on something, they're going to have to find a way to deal with that. Yeah. And it, it keeps them thinking. Mm-hmm. And it keeps them... Hopefully trying to be a little more efficient at things, but it just teaches them how to overcome those problems that might come up to say something does, doesn't does go 100% right. This is a trial run for if they weren't in a practice. If they are in a practice, you could stop it immediately and whatever. This is a, we're going to say this is not a practice. You do not have a start over. You have to make do. Good luck. And they have no choice but to continue on, just like they would on a real scenario. Right, absolutely. So... Yeah, you're creating muscle memory mm-hmm. so that they don't short things when they actually get to a fire. And you're creating the thinking aspect of it. If something does go wrong, this is how I fix it or this is how I can fix it. Um, and overall, you're just hopefully everyone's getting input in there in the end and saying, okay, we could have done this better or we should have done this instead. Yeah. So. All right, so the next one we got... Uh, use an air bottle to pressurize the hose for inside hose advancement. And I will let you, Chris, go on with this one. Of course you will. Of course I will. So we do a lot of our hose advancement training actually inside of our station. But... For for different reasons. But our problem is, is we don't want to put water in that hose because we really don't want to clean up a flooded basement or something yeah if somebody accidentally opens it or whatever so we want to get the realism in of having a pressurized hose and how stiff it can get and how hard it is to maneuver around corners things like that so we have a cap on one side of the hose where the nozzle would be and on the other side of the hose we actually have a air like we can screw it on there it's like a cap but then we can fill it that hose with air and then cap it off. Mm -hmm. So our hose actually stays full of air and it's actually fairly realistic. Oh, weight's not quite there, but the stiffness of the hose and how it reacts is there. And we just use one of our air bottles that we use for our air packs for it. Yep. And open it up. So. Yep. So, um, that one is just, it's a better way if you, especially in the winter, if you're working inside and you don't have the area where you can get it wet without, Mm -hmm easily cleaning it up or whatever this is a great way to be able to train that without getting everything soaking wet yeah and the reason i thought about using it for this specifically is because we we charge our hose line with air for uh water rescue stuff we don't do a lot of water rescue we're not quote-unquote certified or anything for it but we have a lake in the area um, and so we practice with it a little bit and it works great to, for that, especially if you have a victim or something out there in the water, we have a little setup with it, but we use it like that. So it's like, well, shoot, this pressurizes the hose. Let's use it for, for hose advancement. Yeah, so. absolutely. So it's a pretty good way of doing it. Setting up a house. So scenario wise, if you're setting up to go into a residential house, Make it feel like a house. Make it feel like someone lives there. Make it feel like somebody lives there, especially somebody with kids. Make sure make it feel like somebody with kids lives there, not the clean like most clean couple out there or whatever. You know, if someone with kids, someone messy. 
Yeah. So if you if you set up a, a house in your meeting room and all you got is walls and a table and some chairs, that's not how most houses, at least that I go in to fight fires, that's not how clean they are. Oh, no. Like, I can even tell you on our house, I and one of the guys made fun of me when I was setting up our little scenario last time, I was putting shoes by the table. Like, on the corners of the dining room table. And he's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, because that's what we do at my house. Both you and I, we kick off our shoes at the dining room table on the corners. And I don't know why we do it, but we do. Yeah. And I wanted to make it realistic. I put, um, we had some old clothes or whatever down in the basement. So I put some clothes on our quote-unquote makeshift bench because that's what we do. You know, like, toys are on the floor. Sometimes cushions or whatever. Where was your dog last? You know, was your kid messing with the curtains or something? You know, like, is there a phone, like, near, like, lower or something like that? Well, granted, no one uses corded phones anymore. But, like... Yeah, don't have a clean floor. I mean, yeah. make it messy. Make them... Make it as realistic as you can. Yeah, you know, think, think back to your house. Think back to other houses you've gone into. How did it look? Try to make it feel realistic. You want these firefighters to almost trip over stuff because <laughs> we all know our houses are not perfectly clean. Yeah. <laughs> most most of the houses that we go into to fight fires, being honest, at least around here, are not clean houses. Mm-hmm. And most of them have kids, and there's toys everywhere. Yeah. So do that. Yep. It's not that hard to clean up the toys and put them back into a bin, take them back home, whatever. But, yeah. Just make it make it as realistic as possible, throwing stuff all over. Yeah, if you, if you keep your clothes in a clothes basket at home, hopefully you don't, but I know a few people that do. <laughs> um, you know, put a clothes, you, put bring in. some clothes baskets in and yeah. throw some old fire gear or something in them. Or You're putting it next to the stairs because you mean to take it upstairs and you just don't get to it, you know, of course. Or you get to it later that day, maybe you have a fire in the middle of the day. And so those clothes, are, clothes baskets still on the stairs in the way. Yeah, exactly. So It's life. Alrighty. All right. Next one near and dear to my heart. <laughs> okay, so the next one has a, is kind of a two-parter. It's a... Do you want to go over both parts or just one at a time? Well, let's go over the first one first. Okay, so the first one is running officers in the officer positions during your training scenarios. And this is for training in general. This isn't necessarily scenario-based, but if you're going to train... Have your firefighters do firefighter jobs and have your officer do officer jobs because that's what they're going to be doing when it's on scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's to me, it is a no brainer. I hate to knock anyone that's doing this this way, but to me, it's a new brainer. If you're an officer, you're going to be doing officer things on scene. Like, that's how you operate. So, when you train, why would you be doing firefighter stuff? Yeah. That's not your job. You should be doing in an officer role if you are an officer. And if you're a firefighter, you should be doing the work. Not saying officers don't do work, but go train at your role. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is in the department, you train at that position because that's what you're going to be doing. And that doesn't mean the entire training you have to do your position. I mean, because if you are an officer and need tra- if you need training at the firefighter level still for something... You can go and do it for a firefighter level for a little bit, but then go back to your role. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're getting training at your role because that is your number one. Even though you may end up on, you know, scene of a whatever, but you only have four people on the truck and there are two officers. Well, you might not be taking the officer position if the other person is. So you're going to be taking that firefighter position. Yeah. So I can, I can see that. So, you know, still you can still train the other role. Just make sure at some point in the practice you're training at your officer role. Yeah. Because that is your first priority i think that's what drives me nuts though is either officers literally don't do anything and don't participate in training or they are participating as almost a rookie firefighter yeah and it's like that's not your guys's job i know you know how to do this already you should be doing this as officers Mm -hmm. how are you going to be telling guys to move how are you going to tell them where to go um what do you want done that's that's your guys's job Mm mm-hmm so if you if they start trusting you, if you guys start trusting you and listening to you in the scenarios and the training, they're gonna listen to you better on scene. Absolutely. So, so and it second, gets that okay. it gets that role that command structure down too. Yeah. So 
It doesn't. It's not confusing. So the second half of this is run firefighters also as officers from time to time to get them officer experience before they're elected. Yes. So this one, we don't want to go, I don't want to go against the first statement here because I firmly believe in that. But this one is if you have people on your department that want to be an officer or you think they have potential to be an officer, if you've gone through that scenario one or two times, or gone over that training a couple times and they know what's going on, put mm-hmm. them in that leadership role. Yeah. See how they react, see how they do. Well, I'm going to take it back to uh, something that actually happened a, couple, a few years ago. And we had, a, we had a call happen where we didn't have any officers show up. And there were none of us at the time who were confident enough to take that officer position. Um, looking back on it, I should have because I did know everything to do. But I didn't have the confidence as everyone has been figuring out for the last, what, 12 or 13 episodes on here. (laughs) I did not have the confidence for that at the time, especially. So we didn't have anybody who wanted to take that position. So I think if we would have had this in place then of having firefighters once in a while taking those positions, it would have built up somebody's confidence to be able to take that. Yeah, and we've we've definitely had those times before being a volunteer department, middle of the day. Sometimes it's hard to get people here to respond to the calls. And granted, most of the time we are pretty fortunate. We have at least an officer or two show up. But obviously it's happened where there aren't any officers. And yeah, if you give those guys enough confidence to at least start the process of fixing that emergency, Mm -hmm. then someone else can show up and take it from them. But at least you're giving those guys the confidence to get there and start getting things done. Yeah. So I agree. I agree with that. So, all right. Um, Throw problems at the team or the people in the middle of the scenario. Yeah. I like this one a lot. (laughs) I do do too. This, This is... As I'm thinking about this, this is one of those deals that you really want to work with with your advanced guys or your guys you want to push out further or the guys that are bored with training. Like, these are the things that will make them think. Yeah. So the examples I have down here is, you know, what happens if they run out of air? What if they find a victim randomly? What if they find a second victim? What if uh, some unexpected fire be- behavior happens? What if your radio dies? What if your exit is blocked? What if someone throws a baby, wants to throw a baby out of a window? What do you do? What if a naked man comes running out of a house and then tries to go back in? Yeah, and that has happened in a training scenario to me. <laughs> you know, there's so many that was Dave. He wasn't naked. <laughs> he was in his underwear, though, from what I heard. Yeah, he was in his boxers. Um... But that wasn't a training scenario. Again, he's somebody who likes to throw the unexpected at you and make it realistic. So Absolutely. And he was also the one where the throwing of the babies happened, too. So, he, he well, not an actual baby, but a doll. Like, he legitimately did that. It, it screwed me up. I had no idea what was happening. I'm like, what? And I was in this class with Logan. And he, Logan is just like, I don't know if he's been through the class before or if he just was that good. I don't know. But... He didn't even have to think. He just ran and dove for that baby. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, Logan, you're so awesome. What? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this can get very, very fun for your department um, because you can throw almost anything at them, and it's going to be very entertaining and very fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, throwing the babies out screaming your head off like a crazy person then trying to go back in. I mean, the guys will have fun with it, believe it or not. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of the basic things, they're running a scenario. They're doing the normal thing, like, okay, going to fight the fire. They're taking it all easy, whatever. They've had enough. They're kind of bored. You throw something funny at them. Like, you legitimately go and turn their air pack off. Oh, that'd be fun. Uh, you know, you start screaming as a victim out of nowhere what happens. Uh, you say, hey banging on some like pipes or something around like to freak him out and say hey you're the way you came is just blocked what do you do now 
you know, you start doing this. You just, it, you start throwing things at them like crazy. Like, that's where it gets fun. And these guys have to think in the moment. And they really start to realize how fast they have to make these decisions. And are they going to live or die in these times? And the more you do that to them, you don't do the same thing to them every time. But, like, they're going to learn to expect the unexpected. Yeah. They're going to learn to think on their feet. Yep. And that that's the whole point of this specific topic is you're not teaching guys to do the same thing with every training situation because real situations aren't predictable. Yeah. You can go in and fight them just like you would any other fire, but what if something happens or what if it is different for whatever reason? Mm -hmm. Those guys have to be able to change from normal to now what do we do or yeah. how do, what do we need to change to fix this? Yeah. And that's, in my opinion, it's very realistic because you never know what you're going to get into. Yeah. It could be a mom trying to drop a kid out of a window. Mm -hmm. I've seen many YouTube videos about that. Um, it could be, yeah, an irate citizen trying to go back in for their long-lost gun collection. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, you got, you got to teach your guys to think on their feet. Yes, it might be just another bread-and-butter fire, but you got to teach your guys to think on their feet because you never quite know how people are going to react. They're funny that way. I know with Dave, with that one where in his boxers, and uh, he was just being that crazy citizen or whatever inside the house, they brought him out, and... They just stuck him outside the door, and they closed the door. That's all they did. They went back in. I was outside for this one, watching, just laughing. And he's looking at all of us. He's like, yep, they did that wrong. And he just opens the door and walks back in. And it's hilarious because, it's, yeah, they didn't leave anyone with him. They didn't take him to anywhere or whatever who's right there. Of course he's going to walk back in, especially if he wants something from inside of there or whatever. So he walked back in a little while later. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened on the inside. Firefighter walks him back out again. The firefighter then finds somebody else to give him to. <laughs> then the firefighter goes back inside. <laughs> Lesson learned. I, uh, I seen a video. Uh, I came across Facebook. Um, they had a training situation where they had to force a door and go inside. And basically the quote-unquote owner of the house like, legitimately got, like, angry with him. Like, he was a big dude. And, like, he started yelling and screaming why these guys are trying to, like, force the door into his house. And, yeah, he was, like, legitimately getting mad and yelling and screaming. Like, he was absolutely pissed at these guys. And these guys had to deal with it, you know? And as soon as I got that door open, guess who was the first one in that house was? <laughs> the guy that was pissed off and angry, you know? And it's just, like, whatever you can do to make things unpredictable, crazy, out of the normal. Yeah. That, that is really what you're going for here because you want to teach guys to think outside that box and not just go to another fire. Yeah. Exactly. So I've been wanting to do this one, that one for like a long time with like a whole like big scenario thing. And like, I've never gotten to do, to do it yet, but... Oh, it'd be so good. And I want all of our top people and officers going into it because I want to know what they would do. It'd be fun. It really would. But I don't know how to get them into that training scenario and doing that type of thing without explaining to them what I want to do. So it, you know, I'll figure it out someday. But <laughs> Someday we'll get there because I want to <laughs> do it with you. All right. So the next one is to train in high heart rate zones. Okay. So... There is, and I, I should look it up, and Miss Taylor's going to do it for attempt me. Attempt to. She's going to attempt to. There is a chart out there in which it was it is proven that your heart rate at different levels, your brain will start forgetting things, for lack of better words. Like your simple motor functions or logical thinking will shut down at a certain heart rate. And the higher you go up, the more the more you forget. So with this one, like, if there's anything you can do to create a high, higher heart rate or make that adrenaline push somehow, you're going to want to do that because that's going to allow people to reinforce more knowledge in that high, high heart rate zone. And in turn, they're going to 
basically forget less when they get up there and get that adrenaline push. They're still going to forget some things, don't get me wrong, but it's going to help. I'm not finding a lot specifically keeps telling me running stuff, which I, that's not exactly what I was looking for. So uh, I know we've seen it before, and we'll try to find it. Um, I know of a few resources we can get it from, so we'll look into that. But yeah, exactly what Chris was saying. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, like when we were doing those SCBA practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, guys were getting so bored with it, we had them set off that pass alarm. Well, whether they knew it or not, their heart rate was coming up because of that annoying sound. Yeah. That constant beeping and chirping of those air packs. And it got their heart rate up, which is why I said before, it kind of surprised me how well they did even with those going off. So training in those high heart rate zones, so how can you get to those high heart rate zones right away? Chris was talking about turning on the air packs on the pass alarms and stuff like that to get that to happen. Other ways you can do it, have them run around the block. Have them run on a treadmill for a little bit. Do some physical exercise before you actually start your training. (laughs) That's an easy way to do it. Uh, For example, you know, if you're going to do a night of training on pulling cross legs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, have them run around the station once or twice. Get that heart rate up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then go immediately go into pulling that cross leg. Yeah. See if they still do it the same way. Mm-hmm. If they do, that's fantastic. If they don't, do it again. Yeah. And that'll that'll reinforce that high higher heart rate, but still have the mental capacity at that heart rate to pull that correctly. Yeah. Overall, we'll try to look for that chart somewhere, and maybe we'll go into that another time on another podcast farther, deeper into it, but uh, we'll leave it there for now, so. And the last thing we have on our list, unless you've come up with any more. Not that I can think of. Um, is another one for car extrication. <laughs> uh, so this one is going ahead and putting multiple cars together. Um, well, this is several different ones, so that's, that's one part Another thought is setting one up against a barrier, maybe, if you guys have those big uh, cement barriers on your interstates or highways. And another one of turning one of the cars maybe upside down or on its side. So this is trying to get more into the multiple vehicle aspect. And I know a lot of times around here, we tend to deal with more of one or two car accidents. But still, how many times are those perfectly set on four wheels? Mm, Sometimes. You know, what if you had a T-bone accident and that car is still in the side of the other car and you have a victim in that passenger seat, say it's a passenger side T-bone. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm going to go to the upside down one. We had a single car accident upside down. You know how much harder it is to extricate someone when they're upside down? <laughs> Probably quite a bit. Hey, yeah. good, good chance to use your rescue Andy and put them in the car before you put them upside down. Buckle them in so he stays there. Yeah. <laughs> and turn the car upside down. Yep, and crush it a little bit. Because yeah. if a car rolls, it's going to be crushed. So. Yeah. Um, definitely one of those deals that just makes it that much more realistic. Because, yeah, you may not run into that scenario every day. But when you do run into that scenario, you don't want to be like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. At least you have some idea. You've done it once, maybe twice before, where you can go, okay, this is probably where we should start. Well, on a lot of these ones, you're going to do a lot more stabilizing than you would... Because for us, we don't do a lot of stabilizing on a vehicle that has four wheels on the ground. It just doesn't happen. You don't right. usually need it. So we don't we don't utilize our stabilization tools. So these are ways for us to train with them a whole lot better. Absolutely. Just, like I said, it just, it just puts up one extra step of being more realistic in. Mm-hmm. And thankfully here we have a good resource for cars. And where we do the extrication, we now have a skid loader and stuff that we can do that with. So I'm, I'm looking forward to actually doing that more. But if you don't have those resources, I guess I'm not quite sure. First of all, look out to any sort of record service or something. Look out to uh, junkyards that deal with cars or whatnot. Yeah, if you have a junkyard near you, a lot of times you might have to sign a waiver or whatever in case someone gets hurt, but a lot of times they'll let you come out there and just tear cars apart right there. How yeah. they sit. Um, I'm trying to think of other ways you can do it. First of all, just put a plea out on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That, hey, our department's looking to do more practice with this for this reason. Does anyone out there know of anyone who can help us? Maybe someone has a couple of junk cars in their, in their uh, backyard. I've seen it happen. 
<laughs> you know, they just want to get rid of, but they don't know how to get rid of them. This is a perfect way to get rid of them, you know? Yeah. So. You guys tear them up and then um, haul them off to the junkyard. Yeah. So, we actually, last time we did it, we usually get ours from basically a junkyard close to town. And this last time that we did it, we had three cars given to us. We didn't even have to go to the junkyard. So, mm -hmm. the junkyard got them when we were done, but... Yeah, and I know um, up for the Nebraska State Ferris School, they actually use, it's at one of the record services uh, place, that they actually go and do all their extrication work there, you know, so they team up with someone there. So it, wherever you're at, like I said, if you have no idea where to turn to, throw it on on Facebook on your local buy-sell-trade site. Yeah. Someone's going to have an answer for you or somewhere to, to be able to go to. And if not... Try to look and see if another town has something better to offer. You know, maybe another uh, volunteer fire department nearby has a lot of car extrication practices that you're able to maybe go and practice with them. Or maybe wherever they're getting their cars from is gonna, would give you the same deal and let you go and do that too. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay to go outside of your own community if you need to for some of these things. Absolutely. Especially something like this where it's still going to benefit your community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely the route I would go with it anyway. So yeah. we're fortunate here to have that. But if you don't, there's resources out there. You just got to ask. Mm -hmm. So I think that pretty well kills this podcast. <laughs> pretty well beats that with a dead horse, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, how many episodes later is this? Uh, like three or four? Three at least. <laughs> I'm never going to let that go. That was funny. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in with us again. Yeah, um, I really hope this helps you guys kind of do things on a budget a little bit more realistically than you have been doing in the past. Yeah. If you guys have any other ideas of ways to make training more realistic on a budget, let us know because I would love to add to this list. Absolutely. We always keep this list around because we are always looking for ways to be cheaper. So, <laughs> we're we're very budget limited budget limited here so yeah. um, we're constantly looking for ways to make things better and cheaper so all right that's it um yeah thanks for tuning in with us and uh yeah feel free to reach out to us and uh we'll let you guys be for the night sorry for the weird voice tonight i got a head cold so <laughs> we've but been dealing with them have a good night guys right, catch you later Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening to us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time.